0: Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam. If the internet had a voice, what would it sound like? Hey, guys.
1: Coming to you almost live from the depths of the internet, this is The Unknown Studio. Scott. I'm Adam. And we are your hosts.
0: The internet is a scary, scary place. There's 4chan, there's Reddit. And there's Mac Mail, the prodigal digital son uh, of Edmonton. And Mac has joined us in the studio, finally, after we've been on the air for 19 episodes. Mac, welcome to the studio.
2: Thank you guys for having me on the show.
0: Thank you for agreeing to be on the show. It is worth noting, he
1: agreed to be on the first episode of The Unknown Studio. He was going to be our first guest. And somehow, that didn't end up working out. I don't remember the details. Something came up. You weren't able to make it. Uh, Brittany was not our backup guest. She was actually supposed to be here with Mac. Uh, But strangely, it took us 19
2: episodes to actually get you back on. Funny how that works. Always something that comes up. Yeah, Yeah, I don't remember the specifics either, but uh, congratulations to you guys on 19 episodes. That's pretty awesome. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Uh, As I'm so fond of pointing out, Scott didn't think we'd get past, what, three? Four episodes. Well, knowing our attention span. Well, attention has nothing to do with it. Squirrel! But uh no, I mean I'm gratified that we're here and it's nice to finally have you on. Um one of the one of the reasons obviously that we wanted to get you on the show is because you are um probably the well, maybe not, but I'm going to say probably one of the most connected Edmontonians uh and I'm not just talking about like the technology you use, but you're you're involved in a little bit of everything. Um and a lot of it has to do with software. Yeah. But from where I'm sitting, it's software and its applications. To <laughs> this is going to sound so stupid. You, you're almost like a, a sociologist, a digital sociologist, because a digital sociologist. Yeah, I mean, you know, y- you do your uh, your Twitter stats every month, right. and I find that that's a y- sort of a useful um, signpost for the behaviors of people in Edmonton on Twitter, and and you're one of the only people in the city
2: doing that. Well, I think I'm first and foremost a passionate Edmontonian. And so everything I do is really, I think anyway, or I I like to think, it's driven by that passion, right? So yeah, I, would I guess that's why I'm involved in a lot of things. And I'm not happy, I guess, being involved in just uh, one thing. I have a broad range of interests. And when I have the opportunity to make a meaningful contribution to something, then I like to try and do that.
0: And see, I am all about meaningless contributions, <laughs> hence this podcast. Um, I was going to ask you this question. I was thinking about it on the drive over. Uh, you are you're a software developer. Yes. Um, and you you're a, a geek, if I may say, self-described, uh, who also benefits from a, a good set of social skills. Thank I you. I would say you're you're uh, you're not uh, the standard nerd that, that is afraid of uh, of speaking or whatever the, the stereotype. Mm-hmm. Given that, you could probably get a job anywhere on the planet. Why are you staying in Edmonton? Why are you still here?
2: <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Um, well, <laughs> I just before I answer that, I do remember though when I was like in grade one. I I don't remember a lot from grade one. I have a pretty terrible memory, but I do remember speaking at a public speaking competition and doing quite well. So I guess it's something that I've always done and been comfortable with. So I, I appreciate it. Um, why do I say I'm in, in Edmonton? I guess the easy answer would be that I was born here, so I sort of feel like an Edmontonian. But you didn't my always. Family, lived, you uh, haven't always lived here. I haven't always lived here. No, I grew up primarily in the Northwest Territories, and then I moved back for high school and university. But what I mean is, like, my family, my extended family lives here primarily. My parents still live in the Northwest Territories, but um, so that would be the easy answer. I, I think more interestingly to me is that. I think that Edmonton is a city with the capacity to be world-class, and it's in an interesting place in its history compared to other cities where we're starting to to move in that direction. Um, I also really like the size of the city. After living in a town with 3,000 people for eight years, I can safely say that I'm a city boy, (laughs) and I really enjoyed my trip to New York and to D.C. and those kinds of things, but I think Edmonton's a good size because it's a big enough city that it's a city, Mm -hmm. but it's also small enough that you have... um, the ability to make some of those connections, those really meaningful connections that is maybe more difficult to do in a large city. Not impossible, but more difficult to do.
0: And to what degree do you feel as though uh, technology has played a, a part in, in helping people to make those connections?
2: Well, I guess like if I'm fairly well connected, as you say, and I, I certainly try to be, I would say that my core competency would be the technology side of things. I think people still have something they're really good at, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And technology is something I've always been interested in. And so whenever I get involved in something, I tend to start from the technology perspective, rightly or wrongly, to say how can I apply what I can do with technology or what I know about technology to this this domain sort of thing.
0: Sure. And how is that... uh you know, your your passion for technology, because you're also an opinionated guy. Yes. And and we've had conversations um, about, you know, being critical. And, and I'm not suggesting that you're critical in a negative way. I think you're quite constructive. But you aren't afraid on your blog or in discussions with people out in public of putting your opinions out there and letting them be known and and dealing with whatever the fallout happens to be.
2: Yeah. No, I'm not afraid to put out opinions. And actually, I prefer it when I put out an opinion and someone corrects me. Why is that? Like, I I, I want, I'm seeking the truth a lot of the time as, as maybe utopian and as that sounds. It's, it's like if I'm wrong and someone can prove to me that I'm wrong, then I want to be proven wrong. And I do that for other people, too. Like, if someone has an opinion and they say something... Know, maybe about an airport and I can prove them wrong in some way, <laughs> then I will try, Which to, airport I are will you try to do about? so, right? So, yeah, I'm not afraid to because if, if I get proven wrong, then I'm happy to concede and say, well, now I have better information, thank you, and we can move on to more important things. So, yeah, I'm not afraid to, to share my opinion for sure. Well, also, yeah. I guess I haven't thought about running for office, and if I had, maybe I'd be more... Uh, Careful with the
0: opinion oh oh! I'm going to start a rumor now. Mac <laughs> just said that he's thinking of running for yeah, office. Everybody thought about well. That's not <laughs> what I heard. <laughs> Have you ever thought about it? I mean, you're very involved with uh the open data movement, mm-hmm. uh, uh or or is it the open government movement?
2: Yeah, well, open data is the, the aspect that I come at it from, but it's part of a larger, I think, open government movement. Yeah,
0: and you're you're. Uh, you're obviously opinionated. You and I attended the, the same conference a couple weekends ago, Reboot Alberta. Mm-hmm. Um, so has has anyone ever said, I think, Max, that you should run for office? Or have you ever thought to yourself, maybe one day I'll be a city councilor?
2: If I had a dime, actually, for every time someone asked me if I was going to run for city council, really? especially in the last six months for some reason.
0: Well, there's an election coming up.
2: Yeah, maybe. Well, I guess that's probably it, yeah. That's true. <laughs> you ah, have to decide. I just corrected run. him. There you go. I stand corrected. <laughs> yeah, no, I've been asked a lot, actually, by people, you know, are you going to run for council? Have you ever thought about running for council? And my answer has always been the same. It's been that I feel like I can have a significant impact without being an elected official. And unless that changes, I don't see any reason to stop doing what I'm doing and, and try to run for office.
0: Yeah, I I think that's perfectly valid. You're, you're an individual whose voice carries weight in the community. And... uh being elected maybe would legitimize that voice for some people, but there's uh, to but me. But for others, it wouldn't, right? Yeah, and
2: there's a different set of challenges I think that comes along with it. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm sort of lucky in that I don't really have to worry about what I say too much. And if I was an elected official, maybe that would have to be something more top of mind, right? But you know, that's only one of the challenges. I think there's a lot of other challenges that go along with it. And uh, yeah, I sort of feel like I can have an impact just doing what I'm doing. Do you think that it's almost this is this is a little off topic
1: but it's it follows the train of conversation and I'm I'm curious do you think that it is a problem in today's kind of society how careful public officials need to be speaking their mind like how it's almost it's almost Uh, a sin for them to have an opinion or to state an opinion because it will be dissected it will be picked apart it will be blown out of proportion or out of context is that is that detrimental to our public servants like is that detrimental to their ability to lead us and to function in the in the capacity of being our our leaders
2: i think it can be i think sometimes um A fear of what you're going to say or what will happen because of something you said maybe holds people back from being so vocal. But on the other hand, it also gives an opportunity, I think, to elected officials to really take the lead. And, you know, for Councillor Iverson or Councillor Henderson or the mayor himself to say we need to densify Edmonton even though there's a lot of interests who don't want to hear that because they can build cheap houses on cheap land at the edge of the city you know i i think the ability for them to come out and say that and to not really have anything too negative happen is just a result of the their willingness to do that fairly consistently i think it's maybe more of an issue for people who don't speak up very often and then when they do and they say something very controversial mm-hmm. there there's fallout um, And I guess in a way, if we focus too much on what they say, then we're not getting to the real problems that we need to be focusing on. And in that way, I agree that it could potentially hold us back. But I think, you know, some politicians uh, actually do a fairly good job of it.
0: I think in Edmonton in particular, uh, we've we've benefited from some deep thinking city councillors, deep thinking uh, members of the administration of the city who are less prone to knee jerk statements and are you know, have given a lot of thought to the opinions that they do have so that when they come out and say something like, yes, we need to think about densification, we need to start building into the city. um, They typically back that up with evidence. Yeah. And they can make a pretty damn strong case for how stupid it is to continue to sprawl. So when it comes to that specific example, um, yeah, I mean, I I think that uh, I think that it's nice to speak your mind, but I think you can't you, I mean, just like you couldn't just walk around in a public place com- constantly stating your opinion. I mean, think about the random thoughts that go through your head. Yeah. Just like, oh, that guy's an idiot. Oh, a nice shirt, asshole, you know, just like <laughs> wandering around. I mean, obviously, you sort of have to temper the message. Yeah, you can't be
2: libelous or anything like that, yeah, right? Yeah, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I do think, too, though, that. we we need to have more diverse opinions, and people need the ability to speak their minds even if it is a diverse opinion. And that's one of the reasons I'm so interested in the open data thing, um, is because I think if we have the data there, it'll allow us to get to a a higher level point in the conversation, so we're not arguing about whether or not a lot of cars go down your street or not. We have the data, we can look at that, we can start to get to the real issue.
0: Can you maybe, uh, for for the listeners out there who aren't familiar with the open data movement, uh, can you explain a little bit what that's about?
2: Open data is kind of the idea that our governments have, through our tax dollars, collected a lot of information. Um, At the city level, this is things like traffic volumes. It's things like bus schedules, um, waste collection schedules. When is the garbage going to be picked up at your house? All those kinds of things. And we as citizens have have subsidized the, the collection of that data. And the open data movement is really about taking that data and making it available back to citizens so that they can use it in their work, for their volunteer activities, just for interest, that sort of thing. You, you know. did after all help
1: fund getting that data. So, yeah, you basically it, you're basically. you're you're
2: taking a bit of ownership back. Oh, from. totally. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's really about um giving a little bit of ownership back to the citizens and, you know, on a larger concept it sort of feeds into what we guess I guess we call open government, which is around Actually Don Iveson today at the uh there was an event today in open city workshop and and he sort of had some opening remarks and I like the three values he used, which were transparency, empowerment, and collaboration, which is i think a good way to describe what open government's all about it's about making government more transparent and ex- and accountable so we can see what they're doing and mm-hmm. then hold them accountable for it um empowering citizens to get more involved and and be more active in decisions, and then collaboration you know working together to solve problems rather than government you're in a black box and just do your thing and and we'll do our thing right
0: yeah i mean that's that's uh we're going back to the roots of democracy in a way almost uh to sound dramatic
1: but it's also true because uh free access to information informs people and people who are informed are more generally more active in their community because they have a personal stake in it mm-hmm. because they have that information they have it at their fingertips And I personally think that uh, that that can be nothing but beneficial to the democratic process is people who are making informed decisions and are taking that back to the government, whether it be uh, by writing to their MP about an issue that they care about or taking it to the election box on Election Day and going, you know what, I don't agree with what this guy has to say. I'm not voting for him. But I do agree with what this person has to say, even though I may not normally have voted for that party, mm-hmm. because they they are better going to represent me.
0: Well, one of the the one of the things you'll hear many politicians say when there's dismay over voter turnout and stuff like that is that they're, they're, people aren't informed, and in order to engage people more, they have to be educated, or they should be. It's good if they are, uh, and that doesn't mean that they've been through university necessarily it means that they have access to information that helps to inform their daily life and if that means that they have access to things like um like the police map i mean i know it's not truly open Mm -hmm. it's a it's a data set that the police are using but that's kind of a a neat you know sort of half step in the right direction um that'll allow people to make decisions about where to live or where to send their children to school and and you know as a as a data set standing on its own, I don't think it's enough. I don't think that I, I'm not going to make a decision about where to eat or work based on how many cars have been broken into in that neighborhood. I don't care because I'm a white male, frankly. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I can hold my own in a vicious cockfight, I think. Um, but I don't know where I was going with this. As soon as I said cock, that it all kind of got away from me, as it usually does. You're going to edit that out, aren't you? No, you're not shit <laughs> <laughs> um, what I was gonna ask you Mac mm-hmm. is uh, where did the enthusiasm where did the desire to see an open civic government in Edmonton wh- where was the, wh- what planted that seed for you where did that come from
2: well I think there's been a lot of people In Edmonton and Alberta and the area that have been interested in sort of changing government, this is why we had Change Camp, right? Reimagining the relationship between citizens and and government. And as I mentioned, I guess I sort of came at it from a technology perspective and I said, what could I do to help or meaningfully contribute to this and and sort of have an impact? And I had been reading a lot about open data and open government stuff happening in other cities, other jurisdictions around the world. And, you know, I, I sort of saw it as an opportunity for Edmonton to take some initiative and take the lead on something that i think is going to become very pervasive around the world um, and that's sort of why i got involved and as a software developer um, you know I, I think that i have some uh, abilities to be able to do some things to visualize help people visualize what it's all about um, you, you talked about the twitter stats on my blog that's sort of one of those things right it's not open data but it sort of helps visualize what it could be if we had the kind of data that could help us you know produce reports like that or make better decisions, as you mentioned. So that's kind of why I got involved, was because there was already momentum, I think. And I came at it from a technology perspective and said, what can we do with technology to help further this momentum?
0: I think it's interesting because I don't think that a lot of people, because you look at open open data. It's got the word data in it. So it's you know, it's, it's It's not tech. the best marketing word. No, exactly. So I think <laughs> that sure. a lot of people think, oh, that has nothing to do with me. Or I'm not interested because I don't care about data unless it's the lieutenant commander from the wonderful Star Trek The Next Generation series. There's our Star Trek reference for the show. Um, Check that box. Yeah. It's, it's contractual. It is. Yeah. We have contracts? Was that what you made me sign when I was drunk the other day? Yes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, polite laugh from Mac. That's so wonderful. <laughs> um, what were we saying? Uh, yes, so I think that um, it's unfortunately named. I don't know. I mean, I'd have to sit down and really strategize about it, but I don't know what you call it to try and engage other people. But, I mean, you were just at the thing, this this conference that was held
2: today. Right.
0: Was there a diverse range of people there from different viewpoints, different professions?
2: Yeah, I think it was a pretty good turnout and uh, diverse in, diversity in the crowd for sure. There was a lot of women, which is good. There was a lot of old people, which is good, a lot of young people, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people work for either the government or a related agency, like the library, or something like that, um there was some people from the community, such as myself. There were some academics, some students um I think there was a pretty good range of of viewpoints now, obviously, there wasn't you know the disenfranchised or you know any of those other communities that it becomes a real um conversation piece around open data is you know. Are we sort of creating a situation where the digital divide is getting wider? It's kind of like we're creating public consultation for the rich. That's the way somebody put it today. And I think that's a valid concern to have, but I'm not necessarily sure that that's what we're doing. Um, And I do believe that open data over time, or whatever it's called, this open movement, is going to help us better reach and serve those populations rather than uh, create a a wider divide. Well, in technology
0: it's you know it's it's come so far it's it's you know some devices aren't really that expensive I've read a few stories not from Edmonton but about um, people working for um, charitable organizations that serve say the homeless Mm -hmm. a lot of homeless people have cell phones now I don't imagine they have data plans or anything like that but the notion that open data is is exclusive and and um, what's the word It, it Deliberately excludes certain elitist, groups. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I, I can see that on one hand, but I think that's a little bit of an extreme point of view, especially for something that's so new.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I volunteer for the Homeless Connect event that happens at the Shaw Conference Center. And the first time I did it, I volunteered um, at the Shaw booth. So they have telephones so people can come make free long distance calls. And they also have computers with internet. And I was amazed actually how many people sat down at a computer and they were going away on Facebook. Really? Like these are some some of these people don't even have government identification, yet they have a Facebook account and they're familiar with it and they're connecting with people, you know, family and other places. So, yeah, I think sometimes we don't give people enough credit based on their life situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they have the, some of the abilities that we don't necessarily assume that they do. Um, the other thing is they're very good at using the services that the, the rest of us sort of ignore, like the public library. There's yeah. free computers and internet at the public library, right? And that's an opportunity, I think, for people who necessarily don't necessarily have the technology themselves to still have access.
0: But at the same time, I seriously doubt there were there was a contingent of homeless people at this open data thing. No, that's right? what I'm saying. Like, yeah. yeah, and, those, and that's fair enough. Those communities weren't there, yeah.
2: Yeah, fair comment. Yeah. There was people from the library, though, which is good. So they can come and learn about it and then hopefully take that back to their community to figure out how they better serve their constituents, I guess you'd call it.
0: So w- what are some of the data sets that, uh, that you want s- to have access to? Like, what what is, what is as, a, as an individual, as a, as a citizen who happens to also be a software developer, what is it that you want to do with some of this stuff?
2: Well, there's a few that I've been asking for for a really long time, and I'm hoping that we're going to get them very soon. One is waste collection schedules. And why, why is that? That one is sort of interesting. I guess for me it's because it's, it should be simple. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, don't remember when the garbage is coming and there's already applications built in other cities. David E.'s built one in Vancouver called Van Trash that is very easy to find your collection schedule for where you live and to get a reminder and email notification, that kind of thing. So I think it's an easy win and it'd be a good way to demonstrate what we can do with open data in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. So that's why I want that one. Um I think neighborhood boundaries would be really good. So much of decision-making in Edmonton and the city of Edmonton is based around neighborhoods. Um, And they've launched this thing called Great Neighborhoods, which is revitalization for some of our aging neighborhoods and, you know, um, rebuilding roads and things like that. And so I think neighborhood data is really important. And then the third one that I really, really want is the census data, because I think it drives a lot of other data sets and decisions and I think it'd be really useful to, for everybody to have easy access to the census data without having to weed through 367 PDF files or whatever it is.
0: And that's traditionally what uh, these, these sets of data have been published in. So if you, they've
2: been published, they've been published in something that's human-readable, like a PDF. But not machine-readable by MacMail. Or by the software that MacMail writes, yeah. yeah.
0: No, no, by the software that <laughs> MacMail runs on. I'm going to try and convince everyone that you're actually a robot. I'm a robot, yeah. He's not.
1: is infiltrating... The city with his insidious technology. Do
2: you remember that
0: episode (laughs) of...
2: uh, Did you watch Star Trek The Next Generation? I did not, actually. I don't think I'm allowed to be on the show. No,
0: actually, you have to leave now. (laughs) And Scott and I are just going to spend the rest of the time talking about Star Trek. There was this hapless uh, engineer named Reginald Barkley. Uh, Nearly got his ass kicked off the Enterprise because he was... uh, Spending too much time on the holodeck with those the hollow prostitutes, and uh, there was an episode where if he, by
1: hollow prostitutes you mean holographic representations of Doctor Crusher and Deanna Troy,
0: I know what I said. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, he winds up being wired to the to the the Enterprise through a holodeck in some episode, As, you know infected by some alien intelligence that were trying to bring the Enterprise to them so they could be like, hey, we're aliens. Um, you are that Reginald Barkley sitting on that chair wired into the Enterprise. That's how I picture you. I, I don't think you go home and have an office. And I love bugging you about this, Matt, because you're such a good sport about it. But I feel like you, you go home and sit down and you plug in. Yeah. You're, you've are you got, like, your own personal iPod dock.
2: Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Actually, I don't, <laughs> I'm afraid to throw this out there, but have you heard of a book called The Singularity? No. Written by Ray Kurzweil, he's a futurist, pretty famous guy down in the states in some of these circles, and he talks. It's called "The Singularity Is Near," and he kind of talks about some of this stuff. Like, how I'm long?
0: Actually, reading uh, "The Age of Spiritual Machines." Yeah, right he wrote now. that one yeah. too. Yeah,
2: so it's kind of like, how long will it be before we have? the technology to implant into our brains to make our intelligence a factor of 10 better, that kind of thing.
0: All right. Well, while we're on this path, because Open Data, I think we're done with that. I think we've talked enough and we'll come and, back. And to now sure. we're
1: on to cybernetics and the cyberpunk world of tomorrow. Terminator and all those kinds of things.
0: <laughs> do you know much about cybernetics? Do you, I mean, do you, do you think that's a direction that humanity's going in?
2: I'm really intrigued by the idea of artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And I, I have been for a long time. I think partly because I'm a software developer and, of course, you know, it's sort of a, a natural interest to have. And I was really always taken with the idea that uh, if you did have the ability to have artificial intelligence, that it should be able to iteratively improve itself beyond anything a human could comprehend. Um, and the first time I was sort of exposed to the idea that maybe you can apply that to human uh, knowledge or skills or the capacity of our brain was with, with some of the stuff I started reading about the singularity. And I, it's sort of fascinating to me. I think... I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, for sure.
0: Do you think that uh do you think that we're gonna run into the, the Skynet problem, where uh an artificial intelligence becomes so intelligent that it basically becomes paranoid and, and uh eradicates the Hell Nine Thousands, the Shodans, yeah. the Skynets. I mean that's obviously obviously it's a fear that, that all the authors of these fictions have shared. Is it is that what would happen
2: i i think the way i would look at it is that humans have obviously spent a lot of time thinking about this sort of thing in literature and movies and all kinds of things so i think if we ever get to the point where that's going to become a possibility i probably wouldn't be too worried about it i think by that point we'll have talked it to death and we'll have uh some solutions to those problems
0: i think part of the the fear arises out of the fact that because you said that i mean ai fascinates you because Machines could become several orders of magnitude more intelligent than humans. Mm-hmm. I mean they can already process things way faster than we do yeah uh but it's th-
2: based on what we instruct them to exactly to process but
0: I think yeah. that's what scares people is that all of a sudden we and we talked about how knowledge is power earlier all of a sudden um we're not at the top of the food chain anymore we,
1: the fear that we're going to make ourselves obsolete
0: yeah 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 and that and that uh I mean, look at Battlestar Galactica. I don't know if either of you have watched that. They create a race of robots designed to assist humanity that be, that get too big for their britches and uh, commit ge- unholy genocide. Yeah, uh, or holy genocide. Well, in their case. case, it was holy because they were they were serving the one true God as opposed to the twelve signs of the zodiac. If you haven't watched Battlestar Galactica, people, you need to watch it because at the very
1: least to understand half of what, what comes said. out of Adam's mouth on a
0: daily basis. So say we all. <laughs> 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 yeah, you know, I, uh, I am the furthest thing from a software developer. I work with developers. Mm-hmm. I instruct them on what clients want occasionally, and I yell at them sometimes. And for someone who has a deep fascination with science fiction robots – I do not know I, – I know shit about this kind of technology. I barely know how to use my iPhone. It just buzzed. Sorry about that. <laughs> Moving on. Um, so we are agreed that, that cyborgs will one day exist but that they're not going to destroy humanity. That We've moved past that because we've talked it to death because we'll know the signs when they come, Right.
2: Well, I think part of it, too, is it's hard to visualize things a long way out. Yes. And so we look at it, and we're like, oh, one day we're going to get yeah and then they're all going to kill us. But <laughs> that doesn't take into account all the things that would happen up until that point that I think would better prepare us. And, and, you know, it's it's pretty rare something that, like, that big that gets developed overnight. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot that goes yeah. into something like that.
0: Well, and, yeah, it's not like, it's not like there's any film that ever, uh, like a futurist film that examines the genesis and then... Uh, gradual build-up of that kind of thing. You want to know why? Why? Because that shit is
1: boring. It's true.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because we'd be sitting in a room with machines being like, what do you think of this? What is your opinion on this? Maybe you should elect uh, a couple of uh, members to city
1: council. I'd like you to look at the circuit board uh, chart that I've put together, give you an idea of how a heuristic network should look like.
2: I think the closest thing we have is, um, I would say, is nuclear weapons. It's sort of the same idea that 100 years ago or 200 years ago people thought about the idea of a concept of a nuclear weapon, it was frightening because if it happened, we'd destroy ourselves. And so far, knock on wood, we've done a fairly good job of managing all of the fears and the uncertainties that have come with that. So I'm not saying that's necessarily the model for something like artificial intelligence, but I think it it sort of has some lessons for us there.
0: I have a feeling that, that anyone listening to the show who hears you say nuclear weapons. Not that big a deal. AI, not that big a deal. Some of the alarmists will be like, fuck you, Macmail. <laughs> you do not know what you're talking about. Nuclear holocaust what will is a problem. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> totally. I know. On
1: that note, it is time to take a break. Already? It is.
0: Break time. <laughs> Have you considered
1: sponsoring or advertising on a local podcast? Well, this is your opportunity. The Unknown Studio is looking for advertisers. If you're interested, contact adam at theunknownstudio.ca or scott at theunknownstudio.ca, and this space could be filled with your ad. Now, back to the show.
0: And we're back. We should take this opportunity because I had a conversation with friends, our friends. At let, let me try that again. We should take this opportunity because I had the chance to speak with our friends at, at Ed- the Edmonton, Edmonton Journal. Journal. Yes, that's right. Uh, they sponsored us last month in February. And I said, hey, guys, we like this relationship. So do you want to keep going steady? And they said, yeah, let's do it. So uh, if you don't read it yet, you should.
1: And, Absolutely, and it's I'm a talking fine about, local
0: publication. That's right. It is. Uh, well, I'll go on record as saying it. It's better than the Sun. It's better than the Edmonton Examiner, and you know it's got a bigger staff and everything. So that's probably one of the things that's uh, really good about it. Um, if you go to our website, you'll uh, at the bottom of the post for this particular episode, you will see a link to their BlackBerry launcher, which I'm sure Scott hasn't downloaded yet, even though he says every episode that he will. I believe I downloaded it last episode, didn't I? I believe you did, yes. Lies. Have you,
2: have you downloaded the launcher? I don't. I just go to it in the browser, actually.
0: Uh, you, why?
2: I, I don't know. I, it's probably the same reason I don't use TweetDeck or any of those kinds of applications. I'm a browser guy, I guess. He's
0: a purist, everyone.
2: Yeah. Mac mail.
0: Pure as the driven snow, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of driven snow, I want to I ask you, because you spent some time living up north, and I don't know many people who have. And I know you go back there occasionally because you said your parents still live there. Mm-hmm. What was it like to live up in the Northwest Territories? Do you remember it very well? Tell us a little bit about it. Is it is it as upsetting as it seems?
2: I don't think it's too upsetting. I th- I really liked it, actually. I, I mean, I learned a lot about myself and that I'm a city guy and I like the bigger city and that sure. kind of thing. But, you know, it was, it was an interesting place to live. Um, Inuvik is, I think, about 60 miles south of the Arctic Ocean. Um, so it's pretty far up there. So in the winter, it gets pretty cold. I think the coldest it was when I lived there for eight years was minus 52. And
0: I think it's been that cold here.
2: Yeah. So it's not like pretty close. Colder. It's uh you know, on average colder than it is here. Like it's probably minus 20 to 30 on an average day in the winter. Yeah. 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 And, but on the flip side, the warmest, I don't know, probably close to 40. Like it gets really hot really? there because in the winter you have 24 hour darkness. So it gets to, you know, dusk or dawn or whatever it is here right before the sun goes up or down. And in the summer, you have 24-hour sunlight. So at least in Edmonton, when it's hot in the summer, sun goes down at night, it cools down a little bit. There, you don't have that, right? So we have 24-hour softball tournaments, which is awesome. But it's also like 30 degrees for two days because it hasn't cooled down. Oh, right? that's brutal. D- um how does that affect your brain? <laughs> like, I think a lot of people can't handle it. Like, it's it's kind of funny actually how many people would move up and they like I can't do this and they leave. For me, it was always harder in the summer because in the winter you can put on more clothes or you get under a blanket mm-hmm. or you can sleep when it's dark out. In the summer, like it's difficult because it's hot and it's bright and you like it only, is
0: bright. It's not like a dull. No, sort it's of. like
2: sunny, like all the time. You can only take out take off so many clothes, right? And then you're hot again still. So. I've used That's that
1: argument for why I personally prefer extreme cold to extreme hot. And I've had I've had fights with people who have been like, how could you prefer the extreme cold to the extreme hot? I would rather be hot because it's, it's warm and whatnot. And I'm like, no, in 40 plus degree weather, that is too hot and there's nothing you can do. There are only so many windows you can open, so many layers of clothes you can shed, and it's still uncomfortable and you feel terrible and it's bothersome in if it's minus 40 there are always more layers of clothes you can put on you can light a fire you can you can find ways to keep warm much easier than you can find ways to cool down
0: for me it's i prefer the winter because i mean the you know if you're really hot and you you, you're a a hedonist you'd strip down naked but i am a never nude so i'm always wearing cut off (laughs) jeans under everything and uh i think it's just humiliating so that's my whole thing, but the the perpetual nighttime, I think I could handle the darkness. I think I'd experience a little bit of depression
2: yeah, I think people do for sure
0: but like you said, constant brightness i I'd go crazy there was a there was a uh al Pacino movie uh, I believe that was made i don't know like five ten years ago I don't remember what it was it was a detective movie where he was up north in in Alaska trying to solve a crime, and he started going crazy because it was always light out. And I I feel like I'd experience something similar. I like darkness. I live in a basement, for God's sake.
2: It's nice when it gets dark at night, I think. Yeah. It seems sort of more natural somehow. <laughs> the other weird thing about living there, I guess, is, uh, for me anyway, and it's an image that I'll always remember, was because there's permafrost there, the ground is frozen. You can't run pipes and things through the ground like you do down south. So they have these things called utilidors, which are above-ground, giant, silver monstrosities that they run all the pipes through sewer and hot water and all those kinds of things. And, um, I think when they originally built them, they were kind of like a house shape. So like f- three sides and then the top was sort of rounded and you get people that would run on them. Like they'd run up and down the utilidor is what it was called. And so they got smart and they started building them like perfectly round so that people couldn't do that. Right, but People
0: would still try. them. Yeah, sure. people
2: would still try. So for me, that was always an image of living up North, at least that far North is that and and every, all the buildings were on stilts. They're all on pillars, right? Cuz you can't put it on the ground cuz when it melts, it'll sink and it shifts and all those kinds of things. So they put them on these these wooden pillars to to deal with the permafrost issue. So wow. it's a very visual sort of thing that I'll remember about living up north.
0: And okay, you say you're a big city guy or or a city guy. Mhm. If there were a, a uh, an Edmonton-sized city up north, would, do you think you'd ever live there? I mean, I, I think I know the answer to the question, would you ever settle in the Yukon or Northwest Territories again? Probably the answer is no.
2: Yeah, I don't think so. But I don't it, think you could have a city this size up there. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, if there were, no, I don't think so. I think part of what's good about Edmonton, we're kind of in the middle of nowhere in Western Canada, but we're still closer <laughs> in proximity to everything else than you would be up in Inuvik. Like, to get anywhere from Inuvik, you have to fly six hours to Edmonton. That's kind of the well, like and now that train.
0: that city center airport's closing, I don't know what those people are gonna do. Damn it, Mackenzie. <laughs> what were you thinking?
2: <laughs> They'll have to go to Calgary. <laughs> no, I mean you always fly to the international anyway. So,
0: I know. yeah. Oh, what do you think of that? Let's let's shift gears here because you were you were a vocal uh, a vocal uh, uh, what the fuck is the word you were proponent a you were a proponent of the closure of the Edmonton City Center Airport. Mm-hmm. And I know that you did this in defiance of your grandparents, wasn't it? Yes, they were shocked that you took that position.
2: yes, I would yeah, I think they were shocked
0: so it the the decision's done, and you're happy with it because you believe well, well why did you want the airport to close? I
2: don't think it's done. There's a lot of stuff happening. I think it goes to council this week again, um talking about sort of uh standards and things for the lands, like what's going to happen there. But I think there's still an ongoing lawsuit. And I don't know, I, i I'm not willing to concede that it's done yet. I think there's sure. a lot more coming, but I took the stance on it, not because I hate the airport or because I hate, uh, you know, people who fly there, a good friend of mine, Chris LaBossier, he flies, he's a pilot and he flew there and he liked flying there. So it's not that I hated those people or anything for me, it was all about looking to the future mm-hmm. and, is, the, is it in the best interest of the city as a whole to have this airport that we can't really upgrade, that we can't fly large planes into in the center of our city in the future, or is it better to do something more constructive with that land? And for me, it was fairly consistent with the city's strategic plan and mm-hmm. all of the sorts of things that our counselors and our representatives over the last two decades have have put forward for where, what kind of city we wanna live in That we shouldn't have the city center airport. So that's why I took a strong stance against it. I think it's interesting, though, that I didn't decide one day that I was going to become uh, as public a face for the the closure side as I did. It just sort of happened. But like you say, I wasn't afraid to state my opinion, and that's what I did, and it sort of snowballed from there.
0: Well, I think that's one of the things that that, um, helps to put you out there more than— I don't know, me or Scott. I mean you're you're more willing to because because you strike me as the kind of guy who does the research. Yeah. Who doesn't come up with those sort of knee jerk responses to issues and uh and you're willing to stake your research and your opinion or your reputation on your opinion because you feel very strongly about it.
2: Yeah, this is why I haven't really done a whole lot of blogging about the uh the downtown arena just yet. You like, haven't taken I sort a position of, on I it? I sort of have an opinion on it, and I feel a certain way. But, yeah, when I when I get involved in an issue, I like to do the due diligence, and I like to read about it. And I spent a lot of time learning about the City Center Airport. I know more about that airport than I ever thought I would.
0: About any airport, I'm sure.
2: Probably, yeah. But well, that one in particular, like I never thought I would knew the names of the runways and stuff, for instance, <laughs> right? Like, And that's a simple thing. So, yeah, I, I, I like to try and know what I'm talking about if I'm going to take a stance on something.
0: Boy, is that ever refreshing. Because I know Scott and I don't do that. You don't know what we're talking about right now, do you, Scott? What? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I did want to talk to you about the downtown arena. Mm -hmm. Because I don't, I haven't taken a position on it either. And I had a couple people on Twitter say, hey, we're thinking of, you know, mobilizing a group against it. I think you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. I didn't respond. Because I don't know what I think about it.
2: I responded and said, I don't know which way I am on this yet, but I want to be involved because I think it's an opportunity to learn about a particular aspect of it. Sure. Yeah. Sure.
0: And, I mean, obviously, this is the beginnings of uh, the large-scale public relations campaign that, that Daryl Cates and his team are going to – are already involved in. Um, and I don't know the numbers. I mean, we haven't seen them. We, we've we heard, you know, this this – expectation that the city will kick in 400 million bucks mm-hmm. well what for what is that for exactly what is that what does that get us how what's the return on our investment blah and people are you know taking positions on it one way or the other and and uh, i mean uh, in my own head i i know how i feel about what i've heard i just haven't stated anything publicly about it and i won't right now but we need more information and and it's exciting In my opinion, it's exciting because we're talking about a development on the scale that Edmonton has not seen since the blight of the West End called West Edmonton Mall. And I don't believe that there was a whole pile of public consultation that went into that aside from give us the permission to build this on this area of land. And of course, that's not how it went. I don't know what I'm talking about, but that is my impression of it.
2: Well, I think, you know, the city center mall downtown, there was a lot of that was another issue where um, we wanted to do something or developers in the city wanted to build something it was this really great idea and city council went along with it and then it turned out to not be as great an idea as they thought it was Mm -hmm. originally um but
0: that that was tied in with there was there was a whole bunch of politicking around that yes
2: but there is with the arena too true yeah no i guess you're right i mean i mean i will state a couple things sure go ahead for now um i will say first of all that I feel slighted as a citizen that they have named their campaign Revitalize Downtown because I don't think it takes into consideration or pays tribute to all the other people and and organizations that are doing a lot of work right now to revitalize our downtown. I think it's a very core focus of the city and the people who live in it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I sort of don't like the idea of one organization sort of co-opting that brand for themselves and sort of taking advantage of the goodwill that some people have been able to generate with their projects and their ideas for revitalizing downtown. So I don't quite like that part of it. I also think that there's, there's, there's room for cowboyism. There's room to do things that are in a new way, you know, like you shouldn't always do things just because that's the way they've always been done. But, sure. you know, when counselors are restricted by law for where they can have meetings and those kinds of things, you know, I think it's, it makes sense to follow the, the practices and the guidelines that have been well established. And the final thing I'll say on it is that, if it turns out that building this arena and putting some public money into it is in the long term best interest of the city, then I think we need to find a way to support it. But until we can see the numbers and really understand that and do our due diligence as a city and look at other cities and other complexes that have been built in other places and and try hard as it is to apply that to our local context. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of uh, indifferent about it, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I hold it in ambivalence right now, too, because like you said, there's not enough information out there yet. Um, Who knows? Maybe, you know, I I mean, case study after case study for arenas in Canada and the United States come out saying, well, it ends up sort of putting the city in a bad spot or I, I shouldn't say case study after case study. What few handfuls I've read typically come out saying maybe this wasn't the best idea having said that i don't know i mean daryl cates probably has an army of of brainiacs working for him. let's assume so Mm -hmm. the guy's a billionaire um maybe he's going to come up with a model that we haven't seen before yeah i mean the sky right now is the limit we literally do not have enough information to determine whether it's a good idea or not does Rexall place need to be replaced today maybe not maybe we can wait another five ten years but I mean, I went to a hockey game in Phoenix at the beginning of February, and hockey's not huge there, but the arena was nice. Like, the exteriors of arenas always look like crap to me. I mean, they tried something different with the Saddle Dome, and it still looks stupid. So if they can solve that problem, awesome. (laughs) Uh, The arena in uh, Jobbing.com Arena, (laughs) lovely name, in in Scottsdale, I believe, in Arizona, doesn't look like much on the outside. But it's got a nice uh, surrounding area. There are bars and shops. And it really does come alive before and after a hockey game. Now, the problem with Scottsdale, the problem with Phoenix, at the whole area, is that it's like Edmonton. It's it's like these bedroom communities and big box stores, and you can't get anywhere unless you have a car. So if we're going to go with that model, I'm not in favor of a new
2: arena because yeah. we already have
0: one that's accessible by rail and, and
2: Absolutely. I think it's important to consider transit when we talk about Absolutely. any large-scale development like that downtown and you know, if he, if this were being I sort of I sort of worry about the idea that maybe it gets approved and because it's being built relatively soon before we have LRT from the four corners of the city coming into our city's downtown that That means we're going to have more parking and all of these other kinds of things that we really don't want to promote, I think, as a city. So that kind of scares me. Well, and
1: parking has always been an issue downtown. In fact, parking is an issue that I feel the city really needs to address downtown because if there's not enough of it, it's just poorly handled in, in the downtown area. And I would advocate anybody who needs to do any business downtown
0: should not drive. I would agree with that, but I also don't think that... I think, personally, I think that Edmonton needs to move towards... Uh, a system of people movement like to bring people downtown i'm i'm in favor of that and i think we've made great strides as you said so so i understand how you feel about uh the kate's group calling it revitalized downtown D- downtown edmonton has been undergoing a revitalization i'd say for the last 10 years yeah a long and time. and anyone who's been away for that long and comes back will notice a significant difference so it's not fair to sort of steal that But I would like to see a downtown. I don't care about parking because I'm the kind of person who would be perfectly happy if I could live in a city and not have to use a car, or or have or buy into a car sharing service like some of the ones they have in New York and Vancouver. Um, So, selfishly, personally, if there's no parking downtown except for media parking, great. I don't care. but i understand what you mean i know what you're saying it is a hassle
2: i'm with you though that i think it's something we need to address because as we start to move more people downtown and we build more high rises right now there's a parking minimum bylaw so you have to have a minimum number of parking stalls and really what we should have is a maximum number of parking stalls to encourage transit and all those kinds of things and it's hard to say that now because we don't have the best transit system in the world and Mm -hmm. it's hard to get downtown if you live sort of far away um, but I think that's changing, and I think we need to start to do some other things, other policies like parking to help encourage that further.
1: Well, and what, I'm, what I meant with um, with the idea of if we build a huge entertainment complex downtown, an arena with an attached hotel and casino, whatever they want to put up, there there is not enough space downtown to handle the parking for that yes. is what I mean. Yeah. Like there is, if you have a hockey game and you're expecting, I don't know, 7000 people, 15000 people to come out to your hockey game. You there is not the capacity downtown Edmonton to handle all of those cars. Mm-hmm. There is not. You would have to level buildings that are presently downtown to make the parking space for it. You would have to have the infrastructure downtown for transit and for LRT. Yes, I see what you're saying. To to be able to do that or shuttles or whatever. And have park and ride from the four corners of the city, which would be fantastic. You you would have to have that in place because otherwise it would be unmanageable.
0: Well, and at a minimum, this this new arena will have fifteen thousand seats. I mean, that's how many about Rexall Place has now, and they want to bring that up a little bit, not significantly, but uh, at a couple thousand, couple thousand. Yeah, I, I think, think so. Spaces? They can sell another thousand, probably. Oh, I right? think so too. So I don't think that like. To me, as long as there's a hockey team here, the viability of an arena in terms of its use is probably there, like at least, you know, for 40 games a year. Right. And concerts and, and the rodeo and stuff like that.
2: And one of the things I don't know enough about and something I want to learn more about is minor hockey and some of the other. Who hockey could? that takes place in our city because I, I my understanding is that we have a lack of rink time actually and so absolutely that that's been a problem be for positive, a long. yeah right? so. yeah
0: but i mean so does that mean
2: but that doesn't mean we have to build another huge complex to, to service yeah like
0: music. so i mean obviously there there's a million issues and i will say this to the kate's group um good on you for starting the conversation but you need to be a little bit more open with people. I think that's one of the things that you can't just say, we're going to do this. It's going to cost $2 billion. We want the city to put in a quarter of it and expect people to get in your corner.
2: Yeah, look what happened when the city did that with Expo, right? Yeah. We need $3 billion, but what for?
0: Yeah, and I still am not really sure. So, I mean, I know that the Kates group knows this. Yeah. I know they listen to this podcast.
1: <laughs> well, Daryl is one of our 30s of listeners. Daryl is, yes.
0: He's sitting there. Wondering what the hell he's doing listening to this show right now. But
2: I was just going to say back to sort of the blogging and software stuff that I do. I think for me this is an interesting opportunity to see how a large organization uses those tools in their marketing campaigns. Like they have the blog now and they have the Twitter yeah. account. And it seems like they're being fairly thorough in their use of it thus far. So I think it's going to be an interesting case study as well.
0: Yeah, I know. I've actually noticed a few of my friends on Facebook are now... Fans of the revitalized downtown movement. So it is. Or Edmonton it's Edmonton Arena District. Yeah, whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah Arena District. The, That's I what think it the is.
2: domain is revitalized downtown, but officially it's like the uh, the Edmonton Arena District. Yeah.
0: I didn't want to talk to you about well, a few other things, but one of them is because you mentioned social media tools, and and I think anyone who who knows a little bit about you knows that you are uh, a champion of social media in the city, and so much so that you are the kind of person who will go out there and give. Free advice mm-hmm. to corporations, to nonprofits, to individual private citizens. Why do you do that for free?
2: I, I sort of feel like the, the knowledge that I have with social media is not something that you should pay somebody for. I, I feel that, like, I'm not an expert, but I feel that I have maybe a bit more experience than somebody else. Mm-hmm. And... Maybe the core reason is because I think the more people that use social media, the better it gets. True. I think there's network effects from it, especially in the context of local, like in the context of the city. If more people in the city are using it, the utility of those things, I think, just increases. And uh, having to pay someone to teach you that would be a detriment
1: to learning those tools.
2: Yeah, it's another barrier that we don't need to have in place, right? And I totally agree. I just And maybe I'd like to hear the sound of my own voice, and that's why I go and do it for free. No, oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sure some,
0: believe it or not, everyone, Mac has critics. They're not always very vocal, but they do occasionally come out of the way They're works.
2: sometimes critic, uh, vocal. Did you see the comments on the Edmonton Journal with the, uh, the budget thing? No. I thought it was quite hilarious, actually. So uh, a couple weeks ago, the provincial budget came out, and one of the things I got involved with us looking around online for information and I got to the 2010 website, yes. there was a username and password and I typed in administrator and password and I got in, so I blogged about it. And then the journal the next day did a front page story on it and a couple hours before the budget went live, they had it up on their website. And uh, there was a lot of angry comments actually. People like, well Mac is like the prodigal son of Edmonton so he can't do no wrong, so he won't get in trouble for this. Or, trouble, trouble for what? Well, cause it's like the the notion of virtual trespass. Did I? Trespass oh. by entering the password and username. And okay,
0: how about the notion of government incompetence then? Like, yeah, I mean, it's a it's that's a, a complex bit of a stretch issue. in yeah. my
2: mind. Other people were like, "Mac gets enough coverage already," that kind of thing. So I think there are some <laughs> there are some vocal critics, but I do feel like Mac gets too much coverage. In fact, I can't believe we have him on our show right now, just on the social media talks. Mm. I guess I don't necessarily do it for free. It's just that I'm not the one that gets paid. I think most often what happens, actually, is I go and I do a talk for an hour or two, and they make a donation to a charity, which I feel really, really? good about. Yeah. I didn't know you did that. Most of the time, they'll make a, a small donation, like a couple hundred bucks or whatever, to a charity. Oh, that's cool. So That's, that's really awesome. I like it for that reason, too.
0: <laughs> well, and, and you know what? I'm, I'm, uh, I love social media. I dove into Twitter, Twitter particularly. I find it extremely useful and fun. Uh, I dove into it over a year ago and uh you know at at my my day job i've sort of convinced the powers that be that this is a a tool and that social media tools are necessary to help market businesses is there money in social media yes is that money in showing people how to use the tools not really yeah because like you said i think there's value in doing that stuff for free because the more people using it the greater utility there is for everybody
2: well, it's sort of, to me, like a waste of money, actually, because even if I did come and you paid me and I told you, even if I come and do it for free, like me telling you about Twitter is only going to be so useful if you actually go and try it. Yeah. there's You really have to kind of try most of these tools before you get any kind of value from them whatsoever. So if you're paying someone to come tell you about it up front and then you're still not going to try it, you're not getting anything yeah. is the way I look at it. No, that would be
0: absurd. You'd have to, I don't know pay someone to show you how to sign up for it. Even that's ridiculous. Yeah, I love Twitter's like the easiest thing to sign up for. You have to fill two things out. One of them is your screen name and the other is your password. Here's mine. Just kidding.
2: Whatever you do, you just don't put password. Yeah. (laughs) Don't put admin and (laughs) password. (laughs) Because then
0: you'll be like the government. Note to the government, don't be an idiot. Now you uh, used to have or still have a company called Paramagnus. Yeah. Right? That's the sort of company that you do your personal stuff through
2: yeah my side projects and things
0: and you used to have uh podcasting software i did now now and i remember you telling me this when before scott and i had even talked about doing a podcast you're like oh yeah i developed some software for that and i went look looked for it and it doesn't exist anymore yeah what happened
2: well we started writing the software well i've had the company since i was in high school and done a bunch of different things over its 10 or 12 year existence or whatever but uh one of the things we started doing in 2004 2005 was podcasting. I think that was when podcasting really exploded as a word and I got really involved with in it. I had my own podcast actually. I did, you know, like 50 shows on or something. So um and it was harder I think than than it is now, the tools are so much better now. But one of the first challenges I had was, where do I put this podcast? Like It's hard to turn it into a podcast, to upload it, to make an RSS feed, Mm -hmm. to have an episode page where people can comment, all those kinds of things. So we decided to build software for that and it was called podcast spot and we launched it in 2006 and that's what it was. You'd record something, audio or video, you upload it to us and we turned it into a podcast essentially. And we did some cool things like if you uploaded a video file, we'd convert it to multiple different formats, including one that was sized appropriately for the iPhone and things like that. Mm -hmm. Or I guess at that point it was the iPod touch, it wasn't the iPhone. Um, So we kind of did all that stuff and we learned a lot about it and we spent a lot of money on it and we got a good small, small um, but active customer base. Um, but we sort of felt, I guess, after a while, I think we shut it down in the February of 2008, yeah. um, around there, or maybe it was after that. I'm not sure. Anyway, we, we sort of decided, you know, that it was costing us more than we liked for to run it. And we hadn't put a lot of effort into it cause had moved on to other interests and that sort of thing. And we had a fairly small customer base. So we helped them migrate elsewhere and then we decided to shut it down. Huh? Why couldn't you have sold it? I'm not sure. I think we maybe could have sold some of the software. And I recall we had a couple of discussions about it, but it was, I think that the time we shut down, there was maybe three or four other services that also shut down around the same time. So it was not like we were the only ones and there was a bit of a trend.
1: Was the first, uh, the first lull in podcasting before the current boom. Yes.
0: Which we are riding the tide of. Oh, yes. Yes. Scott, uh, Scott and I believe there is a podcasting renaissance taking
2: place. I think it's interesting that you guys are doing audio, though, because one of the challenges that we faced with it, we were called Podcast Spot, and people thought that meant you had to be audio, even though we did a lot with video. Yeah. And sort of YouTube was the where, the place you'd do video, so I think for us it was maybe you know we'd rebrand it, or else shut it down, and you know, we decided to shut it down.
0: Well, we've we've talked about video, uh, and we'll 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 get into it. You know, I, well, my hope is to get into it in the next couple of months to do just some supplementary stuff whether it's some dumb viral thing that we decide to do that has nothing to do with anything or um, I mean we've talked about doing interviews with people and
2: yeah and I think the tools and the ability to do it today is so much better than and it was only like three years ago right Mm -hmm. like it's not like it was a long time ago but Bandwidth and storage costs and recording tools and editing software. Like, everything is so much better now than it was then. Like, oh, man. We used Amazon S3 to store our media files. And this is a an online storage service um, that you sort of pay, like, as you go with. And we used it the day it launched, and it completely revolutionized our financials. Like, yeah. it, it totally changed it. And now... Like, you can get it fully redundant in multiple continents, and you can, you and know, they have all these other things. That everyone, uses S3, everyone uses Amazon S3 for anything
0: that's really memory-intensive, yeah. right? Like, yeah. that's where all your images on Twitter get stored. Yeah. Amazon S3.
2: All the Sheridan images and stuff like that are on, on S3, yeah. Cool.
1: So, I think it's time to slap MacMail with a fast fifteen.
0: What do you say? I would like to give MacMail a stern fast fifteen. And now, you're have you listened to the show a lot?
2: You know what? I haven't listened for a little while, so I'm ashamed to <laughs> I say. It feels so bad when people say that. I'm very sorry. Well, there's at least oh god, 150 regular listeners. I have them downloaded. Well, I especially want to go back and listen to uh, I shouldn't name names, but there's a few that I in particular want to Oh man, listen name to. names, go crazy. <laughs> no,
0: that's cool. I mean, I'm I'm not asking because yeah. I'm
2: selfish like that even No, so it's that I know what we're about to do. And you do. <laughs> I think so. And
0: one of the things that I have failed to mention in the last few episodes, so we'll ask you 15 questions. Mm-hmm. The first 13 are the same questions we ask of everybody. The last two are wild cards. You do get two passes. So if you get stuck, or you don't want to answer for some reason, uh, then you can just say pass, but you can't say pass more than twice. Okay. All right? Yep. So here we go. The Fast 15 with Mac Mail, Edmonton's prodigal digital son. Number one, your favorite food. Pizza. Number two, your favorite color. Green. Mac, PC, or Linux. PC. I knew you were going to say that. Dogs or cats. Dogs. Uh, your first vehicle.
2: Uh, Ford pickup.
0: Nice. Uh, your very fa- Albertan. yeah your <laughs> favorite holiday christmas favorite sport
2: probably hockey to watch soccer to play okay
0: your favorite pastime reading favorite music right now M- paramour your favorite movie
2: uh the matrix or the dark knight i think the matrix We'll go with The Matrix.
0: The Matrix is a good movie. Yeah.
2: The first one is a good movie. Yes. Yeah, the first yes. Matrix. Yeah.
0: The the other, well, the second one is terrible but fun to watch, and the third one is just piss. Anyway, disappointing. Very disappointing. Um, a movie that you hate but everyone else seems to love. Napoleon Dynamite. Ah, We had that uh, in our last episode. It's true. David Barry mentioned Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, one movie that you get made fun of for loving.
2: Mm, I have to think about that past, I guess. Okay.
0: Your proudest moment? Probably when I called you <laughs> Evan's prodigal digital son.
2: I don't know. There's a lot of proud. I'm really proud, actually, that I, I uh, graduated from university. I think I was probably one of the first in my family to go all the way through a university degree. Wow, a big deal. Degree. So for me, that was, a, that was a really proud moment, yeah. Cool.
0: Right on. Um, and now we're on to our wild card questions. Great. If you could host any kind of camp, what would it be?
2: Actually, I really like the notion of a food camp of some kind, and not just food in general, but a specific one. They've done a really cool one in San Francisco called like, Cupcake Camp. I'd like to do like Grilled Cheese Camp or something. There not there actually a really
0: competition isn't. right now? Yeah. Slow, I, saw, I think I saw this on Sharon's blog.
2: Yeah, there's a Slow Fit Edmonton organization in Edmonton, and they're putting on a Grilled Cheese Competition that I'm thinking I might try and, uh, and enter. But yeah, a slow, uh, Grilled Cheese Camp would be fun.
0: I think we should do this enter this grilled cheese competition we'll talk more about that after the show because we need to finish with max fast 15 and our our last my last question for you pick three words that you hope will describe edmonton
2: in 10 years in 10 years well innovative i think is a is a key one um Something to do with transit. What would be a word uh, where we where we use transit, and that's the primary mechanism of of uh, movement. It's okay movement.
0: to uh, to make it a, a compound word. So if you wanted to say say transit oriented, transit oriented, there you go. Okay, thank you. So innovative transit oriented.
2: Uh, another word that I, I really like for Edmonton, I think it's relevant now, and I, I really want it to be relevant in ten years. Is community. I think we have fantastic community in Edmonton with community leagues and. Um, all the other organizations we have were were known around the country for volunteerism mm-hmm. and those sorts of things. So yeah. community-focused, I guess. There you go. Another hyphenated word. Yeah. We would
0: have also accepted gold-plated. Gold-plated. <laughs> <laughs> In 10 years, Edmonton will be gold-plated. That concludes the Fast 15 with Mail, Edmonton's prodigal digital son. So... Who do we have coming up next? I'm glad you asked that, Scott, because we are going to have local entrepreneur Ken Batista on the show. Ken, you may recognize the name, because he's uh, very involved. He's uh, bringing TED Talks to Edmonton. He started a software company a number of years ago and is now going international with it. It's called Seek Your Own Proof is a game that he's developed. Uh, It's for children. Uh, go to discoverykids. dot com, I think, and you'll see uh, something about that. Is that right?
2: Yeah, if if I may. Please, please. I, I, Ken is one of my one of my most favorite people in Edmonton. I think we're really lucky to have him in Edmonton. He's involved with a lot of things. He's co chair of art scene, for instance, mm-hmm. and they put on some really great events. And for all the people who think that I don't sleep, like wait till you talk to ken because the the stuff that he's involved in is just incredible yeah
0: he's uh he's he's one of the most uh involved uh entrepreneurial and energetic people and he's into some crazy ass (laughs) shit so we're gonna have him on our show (laughs)
2: he's also one of the top 40 under 40 in edmonton there you go along with this guy right yeah
1: and uh previous guest at least one that was a proud
2: moment too i guess yeah
0: yeah and we'll be on that next year i'm sure Once we have 40s of listeners. Crossing our fingers. Yeah. Before I'm 40, Scott, I'm telling you. There you go. Thank you, Mac,
1: once again for being on the show. Yeah, thank you, guys. It was great having you. It was lots of fun. Awesome. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, Episode 19. Our guest, Mac Mail, our topic, open data. Production by Adam Rosenhart Post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca Thanks for listening
0: I can hold my own in a vicious cockfight, I think. Fight! (laughs) Finish him!
1: (laughs)